Mr. Molina, how are you today? Oh man, it's another week. It's another week, Mark. And in 2020, I was just watching uh, my feed here on the on the Facebook because I was I was kind of playing groundhog with uh, social media in the last couple of weeks, man. Because uh, just for my mental health, you know, and yeah, but I I peeked my head out like it was Groundhog Day. So I saw a post that said. I wonder how the I wonder how this is going to end. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, the whole 2020 saga. Right. Yeah. And someone commented. One of my old buddies commented. Um, it'll probably pretty non-climatic. And yeah. <laughs> I said I hope you're right, man. I um, hope so. Yeah. But I don't think that's possible. <laughs> no, so, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Everything's going good, man. Just just uh, had a chance to go out to to the Frio River last Saturday with my family. Oh nice. And we booked a pretty a pretty decent cabin when we got there. The cabin was was double booked. Oh. And so we called the owner. And this is an Airbnb by the way. Yeah. But you know the owner has like the cabin on three different sites. So at times it it, it overlaps and it, it double books. So she said don't worry, go to this other location across the street. Uh, they had their own office and uh, oh, wow. it was really nice. It smelled like pumpkin spice. Oh, and I said, something good is about to happen. When you, when you smell pumpkin spice, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, something good's going to happen. So they upgraded us to a, a river house, two story oh. and meant for like 15 people, you know? Wow. Nice. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. But none of my college buddies were there. It was just me, my wife and my two kids. And, we had a fire pit and we did the river thing, came back and just, it was, it was awesome. It was only for one night, but Hey, uh, Concan, Texas, you guys are listening. You've never been to Concan. Um, it's a beautiful place. And, uh, even still it was pretty, pretty crowded. Um, you know, considering the weather is getting cooler, but I'm glad we had a chance to do that. And it worked out, man. We were, we were upgraded. That's awesome. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just got a, uh, um, I got an invitation to a, a friend's wedding that's getting married on uh, Halloween in Fort Worth. And yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause, uh, yeah. Cause it's like, well, uh, I guess we're, I guess we're going to travel. I guess we're going to stay in a hotel. <laughs> I guess we're going to be as safe as we can on the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, yeah, um, I was, well, I guess I'm not really surprised that it's not all virtual, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's weird because it's so weird because before it would have been like, all right, sure, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Let's enjoy the weekend to our, to, or, you know, a little bit of a time to ourselves because uh, right. no, no kids are allowed, but uh, right. But yeah, I don't know. Now you got to think about it. Now you got to think about it. It's it's tough. It's a tough yeah. call. So yeah, it's like uh, you like you said. Uh, not, I think you said it in the summer was, you know, it's like you're if you want to go out and see friends, it's kind of like dating again. You know, you got to figure yeah. out and ask them where you been, where have you, and right. yeah, it's true. I think I think a lot of people, all of us, are going through that man, just that decision making process, and um. You know, and, and that's, I tell my students all the time, you know, that's the, that's the essential service of the news. That's, that's, 
you know, playing a part in your daily life is figuring out the numbers and how much of a risk it can be. That's right. I hope, I hope you do decide to go and take the plunge because, uh, you know, we all need it, man. You need, you need uh, human interaction. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they are, they are requiring masks at the reception. They, uh, they're, they're providing them if you don't bring your own, uh, and uh, it's interesting because the reception site is making all of the guests fill out a waiver. Basically, uh, if you get COVID-19, you can't sue us, which is <laughs> interesting and comforting. There's, there's a lot to be said, said for that, but, uh, but that's another podcast. Well, COVID do your part, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yep, absolutely. Sickness and in health. There you go. In sickness and in health. That's right. So, uh, so today I'm really excited. We have, so I, I know this individual from uh, my days at TCU. Uh, I, we, we joked, uh, I actually don't remember how I know him exactly or how we met, what circle we met in, but uh, we both went to TCU and um, his name is uh, Matthew Williams. Um, and he's a, he's a data, he's a data analyst. Uh, he's a data analyst within Blizzard Entertainment's uh, Battle.net, an online products team. Uh, he works with product managers, designers, engineers to implement, collect, and analyze insights around how users are engaging with the company's vast ecosystem of game websites and mobile applications. Uh, Matthew has over eight years of experience working with stakeholders across the IT, e-commerce, entertainment, and consulting industries to incorporate a data-informed culture into their team's day-to-day decision-making. When he's not geeking out about data and games, uh, he can be found on the running trails or rooting for the TCU Horned Frog football team. So without further ado, wow, cool! I would like to welcome... Matthew Williams. Matt, how are you? Hey, how are you, Mark? Oh, I can see you. There you go. All right. Nice. Nice sport in the... Uh, nice to meet you, Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you. Is it... Uh, do you like to go by Tim, Timothy? Yeah, you can call me Tim. Cool. Yeah, that, that'll be good. I've got a big Texas T, so in case you forget, I got it on my head there. <laughs> nice. I see you're a Rangers fan. To some degree, it's, a, it's been a short, rough season, but we'll we'll talk about that. I, I'm sure once uh, once we uh, get to know you more, we're we're so excited to have you. Um, Mark was telling me uh, how you guys met. You know, you guys went to TCU together. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We were kind of uh, you know joking around like that exact occurrence around how we met. I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember, Mark. I don't know if you ever. Exactly yeah, no, I, I tried to rack my brain and I, I don't remember. I don't remember if it was on a, a film set for the Student Film Association or uh, it was in the library with the help desk because I worked for the help desk for a long time. Uh, I, I really, I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we were obviously very involved in, uh, in, in the things that we were involved in. So, uh, so yeah, we, we just got to meet lots of cool people. And so, yeah, you're, you're one of those people. Um, so yeah, how, how, how are you? How is, uh, how is everything going on this Friday morning? Good. Um, I apologize. Apologies if, uh, you hear a screaming baby in the background. Uh, my newborn is, I think, having a rough sleep day. So, uh, Friday's going well so far, um, with, with, uh, everything else but that, but, um, 
I think I think we'll be fine in terms okay. of like audio quality. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, no things things are going well. Um, you know, um I I want to thank you again for letting me come on to the show and you know, help give some perspective um around what I do and um I guess as it relates to um the class you teach mass communication right um how that could maybe feed into the subject matter that you're trying to teach your students um so yeah i'm, I'm stoked to to talk more about um just my experiences and how they relate to um you know what it is that you all are trying to teach your students cool yeah um so we uh we we entered formally introduced you to our guests with the uh the the bio that you provided um, so tell us a little bit more though about um, working for Blizzard Entertainment and, and uh, how long how long have you been working with them and I mean th this this is your your dream job right? Yeah, to put it plain and simple, it is uh, everything that I've envisioned. Um, you know, from the moment I started chasing this uh, sort of career aspiration of wanting to work in the gaming industry, um, it's it's exactly what I envisioned. Um, I won't say it was easy, um, but you know, um, even more, there's a, there's this like common understanding that, you know, the industry is hard to break into, um, whether it be, you know, QA, uh, trying to test video games, to even programming for games, to designing the games, um, or even like marketing games. Um, there's this, this common notion that like a lot of people who are avid passionate gamers would love to work in a, a game industry type job. Um, and for me, it was even more, um, niche than that. Um, cause I, I chose the route of trying to marry a passion that I really cared about, uh, a craft, if you will, which is, you know, data analytics and helping use data to drive informed decision-making around the games that we sell, um, or even making the games better themselves, right? Like data in this age of information is like crucial um, to help make a product better. And, you know, having that mindset of wanting to provide that, especially coupled with my passion for gaming um, is really how I carved out a a targeted approach for going for the type of job that I, I'm currently in right now. Um, I got very lucky, um, you know, because um, I could have had all the stars aligned with being the best that I am at my craft with being able to, you know, as you know, as uh, maybe my day-to-day -day, uh, job includes like creating dashboards and monitoring, um, key metrics and pieces of data that tell like whether or not a product that we're, a game that we're selling is um, doing well or not, um, right? Like I could be the best at, at that kind of stuff, but um, there's this level of like luck that I feel played into it, but um, I was able to land the job that I, I, I am in now um, because of sort of that targeted approach that I, I built out um, and formulating what I wanted to do in the gaming industry and, and it's worked out. Um, well so great so have you always have you always wanted to do data analysts for games or in the beginning did you did you want to maybe focus on the game design possibly 
Yeah, and I think that's also a common um, background. I won't talk to everybody's point, uh, you know, perspective, but I, I went to school before TCU. I went to this sort of um, for-profit um, trade school that specialized in game design. Um, it was like a video game college out in Arizona. And I went in with the intention of wanting to design video games. Um, and about a year into it, I realized that this wasn't for me. Um, in addition to the fierce competition that I foreshadowed myself just seeing, you know, lines upon lines of like other hungry, passionate game designers, you know, lining up to put in their resume. I just, I knew that I needed to find another way or outlet into getting in the industry. And, um, and so that's when I started, I started building out my slow plan for, oh, I want to ultimately do analytics in uh, the gaming industry. And so that's when I, I, you know, I transferred to TCU and um, even during at TCU, I, I didn't really know, know at the time that I wanted to do things with data. Um, mm -hmm. I majored in like computer science, computer information technology. And uh, at that point I was, I was just passionate about the industry, but still my craft wasn't settled on yet. It wasn't until I got into my first job um, right out of college at HP that I really did start to develop a sense of this craft that I would ultimately want to pursue for the rest of my life in gaming. And um, again, it was, it was kind of by luck, but I, I got a, a developer job um, right out of the gate at HP. Didn't like coding really that much. Um, so I transferred into more of a business analyst role, maybe three or four months in, um, helping the business write up like requirements um, in terms of like building out a specific feature that they would want on like their web store. Um, and from there, I met uh, like this data team. Mm -hmm. And through this data team, I was very fortunate to sort of shadow the data analysts, data scientists, data engineers on what they did on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, they, they worked with things like pulling data from SQL, transforming the, that data that they would pull from these databases um, and use it to tell stories and insights around, um, again, like what, what products were being sold on the web store, um, essentially answering their business questions. Mm -hmm. that uh, they were interested in getting answers to. Mm -hmm. And and from there, I, it just, my mind was blown in terms of like the opportunities that are available um, to get into in terms of like the data craft. Um, you could be an analyst, you can be the one who's sort of using the data to tell a story um, mm -hmm. around how a product or you know how your business is doing you can be an engineer you can be the person who's actually getting the data in a formatted and readable way for the analysts mm -hmm. to help tell that story mm -hmm. um or you could even be you know sort of like a scientist data scientist um which is i would say a step above above beyond an analyst where okay analysts are using the data to help answer questions that have already been thought of but the scientist's role is thinking of questions 
that haven't even been asked yet using data. Mm. And so yeah. you've got the, like all these different perspectives of like how you can use that data and um, a person with um, a passion for wanting to use quantitative uh, measurements more so over qualitative um, to help back a point um, is really, really how I came to love the analytics craft. Um, so that was the easy part. Um, sort of the challenging part, which was a, about a decade long journey was breaking into the industry. Because at the time, right, like as I mentioned before, like the main paths of gaming, getting into the gaming industry are mostly like through um, programming, um, design, um, or even like, you know, like maybe business, um, mm -hmm. publishing, marketing. But analytics, um, at the time it was, it was very new and niche. Um, mm -hmm. But as I sort of started to reach out to individuals in the industry and learn about opportunities that existed within um, the analytics craft in the gaming industry, I, I started to see what, how I could focus my craft even more to apply to that industry. Um, so, you know, it just was a lot of back and forth, uh, a lot of rejections, mm -hmm. um, right? I won't say it was, um, I got it the first time. Some, some are fortunate, but you know, it takes others a little bit longer. And um, through that decade-long journey, I was able to really sharpen, hone my craft um, and um, apply it to um, a way that I, I eventually did get myself into the industry. That's awesome. So That's really cool. That's really insightful. I wanted to ask who, uh, Matt, as far as, uh, you know, because obviously it takes a lot of persistence. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned luck as well, but I think a lot of that could be attributed to, you know, your ability to network and learn from, you know, like the folks at HP that you had mentioned earlier, the, the data team and, you know, maybe probing questions and things. Can you, can you kind of, uh, for our students, because a lot of them, I think, want to be able to, to do the same thing and take this, this journey and learn from their failures or mistakes and things like that. Cause that, that alone is not failure. It's, it's learning from that to, to then catapult you to the next step. Um, can, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, how, how you were able to take advantage of meeting new people and then eventually, you know, that, that door leads to another uh, relationship you built, you know, as you, as you succeeded on into the, the industry. Sure. I think you hit it on the, the nail on the head. Um, the industry is, is very small, but passionate and inclusive. You know, they're willing to help others, um, even aspiring that, that, that that's essentially how I, part of that luck was meeting um, other industry professionals and having them sort of vouch for my integrity, my skill that they had known about through just, you know, talking um, conversationally through um, LinkedIn, through the conferences I had uh, met them and, and you know, uh, gone out and, and just kind of learn more about what they did. Um, I will definitely say, yeah, networking is a big part of um, potentially uh, increasing your chances of getting into the industry. Um, I would not say so much it's, it's a requirement, um, but a lot of game companies 
want to see that you are passionate about the craft that you are pursuing. And I think that was one of the common mistakes that I learned before honing in on my craft was at the time, I really didn't care about what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to get into gaming, right? Yeah, I would, you know, I I do janitorial work for a gaming a gaming company, right? Like it's, it, it would at the time I was just very passionate to to just get in and work. But um, yeah. as I've networked, I I did learn they that these you know a lot of these game companies do really value what you uh, specifically want to do, and I think that's that can be challenging for students um, to really focus in on because there's you know they're they're learning they're learning what they want to possibly do and right. um, it's it's a perfect it's a it's a delicate balance because you don't maybe want to commit to something that you don't want to do um in the industry but uh yeah like for me fortunately it's uh one of the first crafts i picked what and uh, i ended up loving and um i ended up pursuing and so i kind of got in a little early but yeah i would say advice wise um don't be afraid to reach out to individuals in the gaming industry who may be pursuing a craft that you are interested in learning more about and then pick their brains about what they do in that craft. And if it's a craft afterwards, if it's a craft that you don't see yourself doing, it's okay to admit that you don't wanna pursue that craft if you wanna get in um, through that approach in the industry. You know, the move on, move on and, and, and start networking with someone else that might have another craft you're interested in. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Thanks for that. That's awesome. So sure. I did want to I did want to back up a little bit, uh, I, especially for our students. So so to give you some perspective, we Tim and I teach at a a community college. So we teach at an institution that doesn't offer um, four year degrees, uh, and we get a lot of students that eventually want to transfer into you know a, a four year institution. Um, and so I, I I I want I I want you to spend some time talking about you know, um, you know, from our students' perspective, a lot of students would be like, well, you, you do data analysts, but, or, you know, and data analysis, but your, your degree isn't in that. So if I want to go into data analysis, should I get a degree in data analysis or should, how, why, you know, where, what should I do? Cause, cause now too, especially with these four-year institutions, especially like for-profit institutions, they have these such niche, you know, degrees or certificate programs. And it's like, well, which, you know, where, what should I do? Uh, you know, what, what from your education at TCU with such a broad degree um, helped you with what you're doing? And, you know, if you had, a, if you had to do it all over again, would you, would you get a degree in data analysis? Yeah. Um, if I had, if, if education wasn't so expensive right now, um, I would say I would love to go and specialize maybe in like a master's in data analytics um, or business analytics. I think it's okay to have a four-year degree um, or even a two-year degree or, you know, some sort of just background in something else other than the craft you may be wanting to pursue in the industry. There are, especially in data, there are many examples of people working at game companies 
who don't have um, the specific degree that you would think their title um, portrays of them. So I know, like when I worked, so prior to working at Blizzard, um, I was fortunate to work at um, Riot Games a bit before. You know, they make League of Legends and um, a lot of their uh, insights team didn't have traditional bachelor's degrees in, you would think like, you know, more of a quantitative set like mathematics, um, uh, computer science, data, uh -huh. right? Like some of them were right. philosophy majors, some were English wow. majors. Yeah. So, um, right, it helps maybe if you get a more quantitative degree, but that's not gonna eliminate you from getting that position. Um, so yeah, to keep it short and sweet, I would definitely say it's not a, uh, a thing to rule out if you get a degree that is um, separate from a role or craft you want to pursue in gaming. Because um, you, you, people's passions change all the time too. Um, and luckily the industry is very inclusive of also helping user, uh, their, you know, employees maybe transfer into a different craft they want to learn about. Mm -hmm. yeah. And just, just uh, to, to set our listeners straight, you, uh, what, what, what degrees do you have? So I majored in computer information technology with minors in business and Japanese. Okay. So I was a little bit more of the, uh, the skills I learned in my major did translate a bit to um, becoming an analyst um, since I, it's ironic, even though I didn't like programming and coding at the beginning of my career at HP, I actually ended up getting into analytics through uh, the implementation side of, of that field first. So it was kind of like a 360 and the skills I learned in that uh, major TCU helped me prepare for getting that entry role in analytics. Okay. Uh, so, and with that, that you said that, I think that may be how we know each other. You, uh, you minored in Japanese and my good friend, Mari, uh, Mari Cruz. Mari Cruz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how we know each other. That's how okay. we met. We ding, met through ding, Mari. Ding. That, awesome. that must be it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's fun. That's cool. The case so, has been solved. Yeah. So it's Japanese. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Um, that's awesome. So, um, so I don't know how much experience you have with these things. I know, I know Blizzard as a whole um, and Blizzard games um, probably is, is involved. Well, specifically you're sporting the, uh, the Overwatch merchandise here. So I know this is a big thing and been at the center of a lot of this. Um, we have, uh, well, I, I, I'm going to speak for Tim here, but we have a lot of students that um, every semester are interested and in ask about esports and are really, really interested in getting involved with the the production, the broadcast of of esports. Um, so, can you, as much as possible, can you speak a little bit on that and and um, how that new market is is uh, is really blowing up and and how how Blizzard is looking at that? Sure. So I wish I had the opportunity to um, 
be a bit more hands-on with the um, the you know the actual production of esports. Um, you know, for as an as an analyst, I don't really foresee. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to really do much with like the production, the broadcasting, the actual like making of. Um, you know, that particular, let's say, you know, Overwatch League, right? Like the, every week they would stream um, different matches. Um, I, you know, what my role doesn't really entail any sort of um, influence in the making of that. However, um, there are a lot of backend opportunities um, that I have had um, in relation to esports. So, you know, each uh, each team on the Overwatch League has their own like website. If you want to go learn more about the roster, so I don't know if you all follow Overwatch League a lot, but I'm a Dallas Fuel fan, and it's pretty like a lot of Dallas teams. They um, they do they 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 mean well, but then they break your heart um, with uh, reaching the the pinnacle almost, right? I, I think they barely missed the playoffs this year or they may have gotten out early but um right the uh, each of these teams in the overwatch league have their own team game sites that you can go learn more about the roster what matches they're playing um and all these different stats around how each player um has been doing in the game and part of my role uh, has been the ability to sort of set up an infrastructure where users who are visiting, browsing those sites, um, we can capture data around what pages they're visiting, um, how long on the page have they been on, what um, are they interacting with on those those team game sites, um, and that data is is helpful to our our business managers and stakeholders around understanding, well, how are our users behaving on um, our Overwatch League game sites? Um, that, that those insights can help surface up new opportunities to maybe provide new types of um, experiences, web experiences that um, we can, that developers and designers could create and, and show um, in the form of like new website content to uh, avid watchers who may want to, you know, follow something along related to that um, that team that they're 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 paying attention to. Um, outside of that, I haven't really been involved too much with the esports side, um, but um, I will say, even on the data side of things, it's been rather interesting to see how um, data can be used to influence um, the the progression of esports because it is a growing field um especially with the situation we're in with the whole pandemic you know traditional sports kind of took a hit it was out for a while but gaming has been thriving and esports has been especially thriving um call of duty league um had uh which was a few weeks ago had um the most streamers um it had ever had um, in the progression of that that series, and I believe that actually the Dallas team won that um, the Dallas Ultra. So 
um, <laughs> not breaking as many hearts on that that professional uh, esport, but yeah, I, we definitely have seen an uptick in esports interest because of um, just where we are right now in this um, this global um, scenario. Yeah, I, that's a everything that uh, that I was thinking of saying yesterday to my class about gaming is I was showing them a ch uh, an infograph from. It's a site called Visual Capitalist. I'll, I'll share the link in the chat with you guys. But it's, you know, the multi-billion dollar industry of gaming, right, is oftentimes uh, not discussed enough as a mass medium, right? Um, so I, I wanted to kind of get your insight in, in for our students because I think a lot of what you're sharing is so valuable to them because I think for, you know, many young people, like I know, going to college it's it's okay let's select a major and then typically it's the the drive to try to you know align that with a specific job title and and that doesn't really happen right for uh for all intents and purposes we we're just finding ourselves and so 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 um for the for the listeners right for our students what's what's maybe the best part of your job and um in in what you're doing to to sort of aggregate that information and then present it uh and, and so that's kind of what i'm gathering that, that that's what you do um but but what's what's your favorite thing about you know waking up to do to do this kind of work yeah a big part of what's expected as an analyst um even outside of gaming but um especially in gaming is um yeah storytelling visualizing the data in a way that your audience can understand it easily, but um, powerfully. Um, there are so much data out there in the world that um, a lot of the times I feel like we get into this state of what I call analysis paralysis, where you have all this data you want to tell a story with, but you don't know how to formally make a story out of it because you just are like trying to figure out, oh, how do I fit this data point A with B, C, D, A, F, G, X, Y through, you know, you know, a million, right? Like um, yeah. you're trying to swim through the sea of data. And, and so um, a big part is finding which relevant data points are um, applicable to the story you're trying to tell. And once you can figure out and sift through the white noise of infinite data points, um, pulling that data into um, uh, a way uh, that you can tell um, through um, charts, graphs, you know, different infographics, um, conveying your point that you're trying to, to tell your audience um, and, and, and trying to convince them about the story you are um, trying to tell. That's, I'd say the first step in that process um, is just sort of sifting through the, the data, the sea of data and finding out what is relevant first. And the second part that I, I focus is, um, is a lot of more hard skill, but using tools to visualize and develop um, charts, uh, graphs, dashboards on how to best cohesively tell that data uh, or tell that story. Mm. You know, yeah. um, you would think, but um, sometimes maybe a bar chart is not the best way to convey a story. 
Sometimes maybe it's a time series chart, right? You want to see a trend of something that happens over time. Um, and in that case, like, right, like uh, a bar chart may not be relevant because that's more of like a visualization tool to tell like an aggregate type of story. Um, so being able to flexibly pivot and figure out which tools and visualizations are necessary to cohesively tell your story is a, the second part, I'd say, of what I really do on my day-to-day um, -day job. Yeah, that's awesome. Like the, the a lot of the times, man, I think our students maybe, um, you know, want to visualize how they can, you know, put forth their critical thinking skills. That 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 key humanistic skill that, you know, as much as AI. Uh, gets in the news and all the narratives about how it's going to take over a lot of positions. I think you just hit on that that key factor of, you know, human beings have to be able to curate the data, right? You know, you can you can you can automate a lot of this stuff, but but what you can't automate is the creative thinking that takes place in your in your work. So I'm I'm glad you um, gave us a little insight of how you use your creative and critical thinking skills you know, to, to do your job. And that's, that's what really forwards this multi-billion dollar industry, I think is, is, is a lot of the, the planning and the, and, and the, the research, right. That goes behind how much time, you know, users are spending on a site or a game in this case. Um, and, and, and it's, it's empowering to hear that because, you know, what, that really gives a lot of, I think, I think people hope for the future about, Hey, I can, I can do what he's doing, right? Um, and so that, that's really cool. Um, Mark, did you want to ask the, the golden question about um, uh, his favorite game or can I ask him that one? I, <laughs> mine sure. is, right now, my, mine is Roblox, dude. Like I, I don't even play it, but I see it on screens in my house. I got two boys and they're just in love with this thing. So but I'm what, hearing great you, things about that game. <laughs> even though I've never played it. Uh, I've seen it, it's a popular t uh, streaming game, um, <laughs> but I, that's all I know about it. It's like, how much does this cost? I guess like Robux, Robux, there's like a meme associated <laughs> with it. So I'm like, ah, I sort of know about this game through a meme, but um, my game is my, so I, that's, a, that, um, that's a hard question to answer to, um, again, uh, part of an analyst is like, I, uh, I try and tackle answering stories with data through different perspectives. And this, this, the answer to this question is kind of the same approach. I can't really nail down my favorite game um, in just one answer. So um, I'll answer try from this perspective of the type of game. Um, so there's like a mainstream game I really have loved to uh, enjoy. And then just sort of like a, a fringe, like not mainstream game that, um, maybe the audience probably hasn't heard of, but if they have, kudos to you, and that's awesome. Um, but I'd say sort of the mainstream game that I love to play is uh, Resident Evil um, 4, particularly. Um, I'm a huge survival horror fan, and that game, at the time it came out, which was the GameCube era, was the first time I had really been exposed to sort of the over-the-shoulder third-person perspective. You know, we had, we've been the first person shooter genre has been with us since the doom time, 
you know, um, and the uh, early 90s. But really, that third person shooting perspective brought about a fresh perspective on like how to play shooting games. And man, did Capcom um, really nail it out of the park in terms of mechanics. Um, that game was so much fun to play. Um, just all the zombies, the, the camera, um, the, uh, and it had just the right amount of, of tension to really get me, uh, my head in the, in the game where it's like, okay, on one of the spectrum, I, I'm too afraid to play it. And I just put it down and I don't play it again. Or on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, I think this is kind of silly, right? Like I'm, I'm not scared of this game, right? Like that's what I love about the, that game is it immersed me. And I think that's what um, video games are great at doing right now. It's immersing yourself, immerse, immersing the player in the experience of the game you're playing. Um, so that's what I really loved about that game. Um, on the French side, there is this quirky little game on the N64 I grew up playing called Mystical Ninja starring Goemon. So this kind of goes back to my love for Japanese culture and um, maybe Mari Cruz would have played the game, um, but it is Probably. a um, Konami owned property. Um, but this particular title took place in um, feudal Japan um, back when, you know, Samurais and um, the, the ninja era was was popular, um, and it played very much like Ocarina of Time. Um, it was a mm. platformer. It was like a feudal Japan platformer, um, and it just had some of the most quirky humor that only would only I think um, people in Japan would really come to appreciate. But when it made its localization um, presence out here in North America, a lot of people found that humor very funny, um, the ones who really loved the game. And so the, the, the play along with the atmosphere of being set in feudal Japan on top of probably one of the most beautiful soundtracks I've ever heard is why um, I would consider that probably my, uh, may, my favorite fringe game. Okay, all right. So, so, uh, so since you, you are on here and, and uh, uh, representing uh, Blizzard, I guess the, the biggest, the, the big question too is what's your, uh, what's your favorite Blizzard game to play? Yeah, that's no question. That's Overwatch. Um, Overwatch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, for, for the listeners who, who uh, can't, uh, can't see, he's, he's sporting a Overwatch hat. So, uh, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, I, uh, I manage a junk rat, so watch out. I may... Okay. And rips all tire you. So, um, my uh, during the uh, quarantine the, during this last summer, my brother and I, or my brother got got my wife and I convinced to play Overwatch, and it was it was some funny stuff because uh, my my wife does not deal well with um like uh like tense and tension, and so <laughs> my brother was like, oh yeah yeah, let's uh we're we're gonna we're gonna throw you in an, an online match. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And she's like, I can't do this. This is, I died like four times. I can't do this. <laughs> so, Too much pressure. It's so, it's, it's so it's intense, but, uh, but yeah, but, but it was, it was fun. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's not necessarily the, the, the type of game that I, I necessarily enjoy playing, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's a good, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a good, good kind of escape into a different, different side of things. Um, 
Yeah. So, so is there any, are you excited about Overwatch 2 or can you tell us any more about Overwatch 2? No comment. Uh, okay. I, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we, other than, you know, um, the stuff that's sort of been announced, right? Like, um, right. is there a release, is there a release date? I, I wasn't sure if it had been released yet or not. Uh, no, not yet. There's not a release date. Okay. All right. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not he's trying still to. still gathering the data. That's what he's, he's still getting, getting the data. data. Got to get the data ready, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, I guess the, I don't know, the, the, the kind of the last question to go out on is we, um, so it's interesting and when we teach, when we teach about video games, at the moment in the textbook, it's, it's a very small section of the, uh, the online media the, and the internet chapter. Uh, we actually recently talked to the publisher who said in the next version, video games were going to get their own chapter, uh, which he was, you know, said was way overdue, uh, which I appreciated because that's, you know, somebody who's aware of, of what's going on. Um, but one thing we talk about is we talk about data and, and, and analytics, and we talk about um, how Facebook and Twitter have, have been in the news and, and gotten into some issues in regards to user data. And um, so from a, from a user perspective and, and, and being able to, to be behind the curtain a little bit, um, you know, um, how, you know, what's the, what's the balancing act that happens in regards to, um, you know, using, you know, having data analytics and not violating people's privacy. Um, and, you know, and, and from a gamer perspective, I mean, you know, our students now when they walk in, they, they realize that when they use the internet, it's not, it, it's not private, like they're not, they, someone's watching them at all times. Um, but, but, but from, from your background, if you, if you want to speak on that, um, and in no way are, are we, you know, uh, Blizzard has, has done a, uh, an exceptional job and has not been in the news recently or anything about, uh, you know, violating privacy or anything. But, uh, but from just a general data analyst standpoint, can you, can you talk on that for a minute? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the sort of like concept of, yeah, data privacy and empowering the users to take back control of what types of data uh, companies can and cannot access, I think is starting to come into the forefront of um, our, uh, you know, our, our life and our daily lives, um, especially with, you know, all these different um, articles you may read in the news around, oh, this data breach happened at company A, um, and it leaked millions of users data including such and such like credit card or or um, email address or social right like yeah that that um the phrase with great power comes great responsibility definitely applies to this scenario because as companies get more and more data about the users or their audience it's equally as important to have a very secure form of holding on and making sure that no one else can access that data, but um, the user, but the audience who, who may need that data for. And, um, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, but unfortunately, you know, companies have been exposed. Um, but as a result, um, I think countries, especially, and a good example of this is the EU um, with their GDPR um, rules, 
they are cracking down on making sure that businesses that conduct um, transactions in EU countries are in fact taking very cautious and um, cautious uh, responsibility and importance around making sure that that the data they're collecting is secure. Um, I don't think it's reached that point of uh, impactfulness yet in the US, although I think it's starting to get there um, because um, California has their own local law, sort of a GDPR equivalent um, around how businesses can uh, can only collect certain types of data with users' consent, um, being able to uh, remove that data if a user requests it to be removed. Um, and in addition, you know, just making sure that they are explaining very candidly um, in the form of like a, a disclaimer on their website, like what types of data are being collected and what it's being used for. Um, I think we still have a while to go, but I would say that um, this sort of realm of data privacy is becoming more and more important for companies and users. Um, uh, and it'll, it'll, it'll be here to stay, I think, for the foreseeable future. Cool. Yeah, cool. it speaks a lot to, you know, how the I think one, the industry, but also the consumer, right? The end user uh, and their sort of set values on how much they value their privacy, right? Because eventually the people will help to dictate then the policies, right? For the future of, of, of this country, right? And our, our privacy laws from the federal standpoint. That's pretty cool. I'm, I, that's a wonderful question, Mark. I was like, I was like oh, Mark is flowing. He's got, <laughs> he's got a great question coming up. It's but really, is, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really intriguing. Asked, um, a lot. Yeah. But I, I do appreciate people who do follow that because, yeah, it, it's very important. Yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's definitely a topic in 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 our course for sure. It's a sort of a, a thread conversation that goes on because I think I think when um, when we bring it up, you know, it's it's obviously uh, you know something that engages students and we we love to do that and once once we get them once we get them off and running the conversations conversations we have are, are just uh, incredible and and that's really the public discourse right that, that we need to have around these kinds of uh topics so yeah this that was that was that was awesome way to go mark <laughs> there you go yeah um yeah well and, it, and it's interesting too in that regard you know we Facebook is seemingly the the ire of of uh, a lot of those conversations, and it's interesting to me because every single semester that we start classes, fewer and fewer students have any um, any buy in to Facebook anymore. They're they're you know they talk about you know they have it so they're you know grandma can see pictures of them at prom, but that's that's it. Like they don't use it for anything else. Uh, they're not on it. They're not engaging with it. Um, and so it's interesting, um, it's interesting to, you know, look at where, where we were, um, I know speaking for myself, you know, I sat in a, a dorm room waiting for Facebook to come. It was this exciting new thing. And then our parents got on board and, and then now we have this entire generation that from day one, you know, they were, they were Facebook and they, they, they had been exposed to it. And now that it's, it's old, old news and, 
they don't want anything to do with it. So it's, it's interesting. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, well, thank you again for, uh, for reaching out and talking to us and, uh, being willing to meet with us. Um, you know, th these, these conversations are really great for our, our students to give them a, a, really a reality check on, on, uh, what it's like. And, and I know the, you spoke to the, the video game world being, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, a kind of a dizzying place to to figure out how to get into and and getting a foothold and uh, I think that's true of a lot of industries but video gaming in, in specific is is uh, is kind of a tricky one because it's yeah it's hard there's not a, a an exact pipeline to get you there and it's really about networking like you said so um, so yeah thanks for meeting with us yeah definitely um, and I'm happy to be a, a reference or you know contact point if your students want to learn more about you know a particular um doesn't even have, even have to be data related right um if you just want to learn a bit more about the industry um or particular um part of the industry um even if i may not know it right um as i mentioned earlier we're very the industry is very inclusive we want people to see others succeed. And that means willing to help others out. Um, so I'm definitely a willing to be a springboard to help uh, your students learn, um, take that next step and uh, identifying maybe that craft or that part of the industry they want to maybe possibly pursue. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's I great. I don't know if I can, uh, um, I don't know, maybe after this we can, um, if you send out an email to them, I could provide them my email address or anything, but I'm happy to be a contact. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll chat offline about that. Um, now in regards to a, a public facing type thing, what's the best way for people to find, find you? Uh, do you have a Twitter account or, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> How do you communicate? Yeah. I, uh, I do have, <laughs> I do have Facebook, uh, but, um, I don't use it very much. I'd say mostly my best forms of professional contact are through my Twitter and my LinkedIn. So okay. uh, LinkedIn uh, is linkedin.com slash um, Matthew Isaac Williams. And that's spelled with I-S-S-A-C. Um, and then my handle at Twitter is M underscore I underscore Williams. Cool. Okay. Well, great. Well, that, yeah, that gives a, uh give students a, a way to seek you out, but we'll, uh, we'll definitely chat offline and, um, to, and yeah, if, if we can give any seriously interested students, your, your email address, that would be, that would be great and very helpful. Um, yeah. Cause I know they always have a lot of questions that I, I think both Tim and I don't, we, yeah, we, we don't, we, we, we don't have a lot of background in the video game industry. So. Absolutely. And we're, we're, we're just building on, on our networks as well. So uh, you know, I always tell students, hey, if, if, if we don't know the answer, our job is to help get you the answer. And so having that and knowing uh, and having met you, Matt, uh, is, is, is an amazing accomplishment for me today. I feel like my, you know, my, my, uh, my job is, is done uh, by doing this interview. And so, yeah, the students always, you know, they always want to ask and uh, even their academic advisors maybe struggle with that too. And so I think it's, it's tremendous, even knowing that we have a gaming, sort of a design gaming program uh, at the institution that we're at, uh, Nortas Vista, it's going to be beneficial for, 
for those students as well to, to tap into your expertise and, um, you know, kind of be, like you said, that springboard to learning more about what it takes to get into the industry. And um, just today's, today's work was, was, I mean, these, these have so many McNuggets in them. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast, recommend it to someone uh, because we're going to continue to try to offer the insights from a career standpoint and also address some of the the key issues that are happening uh, in and around us. Uh, like you said, Matt, data is everywhere. Agreed. And um, especially to being um, here in Austin, um, I definitely uh, have a passion for wanting to help uh, Native Texans land in the industry. Um, so feel free to hit me up. Um, have you any questions? Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for, uh, for chatting with us. I think, uh, I think that's it for us, Tim. I think we're, uh, we're going to sign off, uh, be sure to check out our, our other episodes of, uh, the, the MassCom podcast. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you later. You guys have a good week. Thank you. <laughs>